getting closer to the end of Second Peter, but we're not going to quite finish tonight. We're in Second Peter chapter 3, and we're coming to what's called the Day of the Lord, in verses 10 through 12. And the coming day of judgment is, uh, call, is what it's called in the Old Testament. Uh, the day of the Lord is a day when destruction is dramatic, it's very intense. And uh, Peter will use a very vivid phrase here. He says, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now that word phrase, great noise, is actually one word uh, in the Greek language which is used for uh, the whirring of a bird's wings. Uh, now, I don't think it's just the kind of the whirring of a little hummingbird. You know, they make a little noise when they're buzzing around their feeders and so forth. You can hear them if you're uh, there watching them. But it's the uh, kind of the idea of the, the wings in the air, or the even uh, the idea of the, a spear as it goes through the air. You know. Um, or we could say it's like the crackling of the flames of a forest fire. Now, not the little fire you have in your house, you know, where you've got the little uh, fireplace and so forth, and it's all romantic and... and uh, very cozy and everything. No, you can imagine the North Woods all on fire. And they've been on fire before. But uh, it's, you think of the fires in California and the, the fighting and the destruction of the homes and so forth. It's, this is the great noise. And it's going to be magnified hundreds and thousands of times of what we can imagine. So it's a dramatic destruction, destruction by fire involving great heat, so intense it literally melts the earth and the elements, as we see in verse 11. And the passing away of the heavens is accompanied by a noise, a roar. And the day of the Lord is a day of destruction, such as never been seen before. Now, at first... Verse 12 appears to be just kind of a repetition of verse 10, but it's more than this. It describes destruction unlike anything ever before. And it's not all that difficult to imagine some things that have happened before. We have record of some destruction. You remember the destruction of an entire city like Sodom being burned up. But Peter says the destruction of the day of the Lord will be by fire, and this fire will destroy things which don't even appear flammable. The heavens will be destroyed by burning, and so will the elements of the earth. And Peter describes a fire so intense that it seemingly indestructible matter is completely destroyed. We really have no way to liken this fiery destruction to any previous fire of judgment. Because it's beyond demonstration, let alone our feeble comprehension as humans. We really can't imagine what it's going to be like. 
We can only have this description here. And we only have one reason to believe it will happen, because God said it would happen. Some scoffers will say, oh, that's not going to happen. No, God said it would happen, will happen, and so it's going to happen. And our belief in the coming day of the Lord is based upon our confidence in God and his word. No wonder those who do not trust God or uh, his word mock the possibility of such a day of judgment. So God's judgment in the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly on a scale never before witnessed in history by mankind. Now we've heard of the, and read, some people say, oh, that's a myth, the flood. Ah, that didn't really happen. No, God's word said it did happen, so it happened. And so the flood destroyed all of mankind except those on the ark. But the earth remained, and when the waters subsided, life went on. Again, cities like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, but life went on. But when the day of the Lord comes, all that God has created, as we have recorded in Genesis, is going to be destroyed. All of life, all the elements, even the heavens, nothing will be, dis- will be spared. And so all previous judgments are really just examples of divine jump- judgment, but none really convey the magnitude of the judgment that's yet to come. Now, the day of the Lord is a future day which will come upon an unsuspecting world like a thief. Life will be going on as usual, people going about their normal routines. That's what we're told in Matthew 24. And do mockers reject God's word because, hey, nothing's happened yet? No. Well, That's exactly the way God said it would be. And yet there is a warning message. Now in the days of old, God sent his messengers to proclaim a twofold message of coming judgment and then of salvation and deliverance. If men would be saved, they would be saved by believing God's word, not by the signs and wonders. And Peter's word about the nature of the day of the Lord was written to us even as saints. Apart from divine enlightenment, his words would fall on deaf ears because the unsaved world, hey, we don't believe that stuff. The unsaved world says, that's not going to happen. But what do these words say to us? And so how do we apply them to our lives? Now let's go back and read verses 10 through 12. And then we'll look at some of the applications here. But in the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now let's go ahead and read verse 13. I should should have included that, but 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, how are we to live? Well, verse 11 talks about holiness and godliness. Now, that's the first application here for believers. And the first application here is that of godliness. Now, of course, as you read through Peter's first epistle, and then even come into the second one, you're going to find this is a theme that Peter has all the way through these two letters, especially First uh, Peter, uh, and uh, you have a number of examples. In First Peter 1, it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In First Peter uh, 2, having conversation, honest. First uh, Peter 3, eschew evil and do good. First Peter 4, no longer live in lust of the flesh. And then you come into Second Peter in chapter 1, and it talks about adding to your faith. And one of the things you add to your faith is godliness. And so Peter is pointing out, uh, even in chapter 2 of Second Peter, the sharp contrast of a believer's holiness to the fleshly indulgence of the false teachers, the false prophets. One without hope beyond this life gives full indulgence to the flesh. But the one who lives in hope denies fleshly lust in light of the blessings that God has promised in this life or in the life to come. So here in verses 11 and 12, Peter's not really talking about blessings of the coming kingdom, but the outpouring of God's wrath upon sinners. He's speaking of the devastating consequences of sin and corruption. And even though a Christian will not experience this judgment, we can learn from this. We need to be reminded that the holiness of the holiness of God and his hatred for sin. If, as we read about God's coming judgment upon this earth, God's a holy God, he's a just God, and he's going to, uh, he's going to judge the earth. Now, if he's going to do that, then what about us now? We can learn from his judgment. Even though we don't go through that judgment, we know how God feels about sin. And we must learn to hate what God hates. We must seek to be holy as he is holy. We must flee sin and the corruption and live godly, holy lives. And the horror of the day for sinners and the finality of their judgment will be greatly should greatly motivate us to bear witness to our faith and to seek to turn men and women, boys and girls, from the wrath of God to salvation. Holiness and godliness. Secondly, another application would be looking and hasting. The second application is looking for and hasting its coming. Uh, we believe that the day is coming because God's word tells us so. We don't need a sign or wonders uh, to prove that it's coming. We know because God's description of the last days indicates that that day is very near. Now that word hasting is a very uh, interesting word. Uh, sometimes translations make it hastening. I think there's a little difference between hastening and hasting. It kind of puzzled me for a while, and 
and did some uh, looking into that. But hasting means to urge on, to wait eagerly, kind of a sense of earnest desire, looking for the day of God, which is synonymous with the day of the Lord. Now, it would seem that some would say, we're the ones that are to hasten the day uh, of the Lord to come, as if we could do something about it. I can't do anything about it. It's all in God's hands. It's as if the day of the Lord would come if we were doing something would make it come. Well, let's not be caught by surprise when that great day arrives, uh, for we know it's coming. Let's be watching and uh, be looking for the Lord's coming. Now, I don't think we can do anything to make the Lord do something. The Lord has his timing, and his timing will be exactly right on time. We can certainly be looking and hasting, that is, earnestly desiring that he would come. How do we do that? Well, uh, we can't make anything, uh, God do anything, okay? So how do we uh, look for it, earnestly desire it? Well, first of all, by living righteously. Living righteously. You may be even suffering unjustly for doing so. Uh, we uh, can look and in, uh, in earnestly desire his coming by proclaiming the gospel to lost sinners. We know there's going to be a great day of judgment. And the unrighteous, the sinners, are going, to, are going to be involved in that. So we need to proclaim the gospel. And then by praying. Jesus taught us in uh, Matthew chapter 6, when he was uh, at, responding to the request of the disciples, teach us to pray. He said, thy will be done, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the way he, he taught them to pray. And it certainly would demonstrate that we concur with God's program and we look for his coming. And then, as I said, verse 13, we wanted to include that as well. There's a new heavens and new earth. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Uh, Peter doesn't leave the subject of prophecy on somewhat sour note of destruction, but intent, instead he turns again to the blessed hope of the believer. Uh, we are not those who await judgment. We await God's salvation. And the destruction of the present creation is the necessary step in preparation for the new heavens and the new earth to come. The destruction of this creation in the day of the Lord is like, it's kind of like demolishing an old building to make way for a new building. Get rid of that old building, clear everything out, and let's build a new building. Well, our hope is not that just for God's judgment, but for the kingdom that he'll bring in which righteousness will dwell. And since the kingdom is one characterized by righteousness, we're to live in such a manner consistent with our destiny. We even quickly look back at First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1. Again, I've uh, failed to advance my slide here. But First Peter chapter 
uh, 3, I should say. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that there ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and let his lips, uh, his lips that speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Again, that's, a, I think, a good commentary on what he's saying here in Second Peter chapter 3. Now, we're to live righteously. Now, we've looked at what we could call couplets, pairs or something, I guess you could call it. We've looked at holiness and godliness, looking and hasting, new heavens and new earth. So how should the truths of this passage affect the way we think and the way we live out uh, our lives on this earth? I think we need to consider the implications as we uh, wrap this up, again, I'm going to give you a bunch of pairs, okay? Uh, our, our text talks a lot about false teachers in Second Peter. And so we will readily recognize them and then avoid them. So false teachers will certainly deny and distort. They'll deny and distort the scriptures. One doctrine they will attack will be our future hope. They'll scoff at the fact that we have hope for eternity. Uh, they will emphasize, oh, live for now. Live all, you know, live life to the fullest. The only life you have is right now. Well, we know that we have a, a, a wonderful life looking uh, to look forward to. And rather than exhorting us to live now in light of eternity, they will encourage us to live in the present as though there is no eternity. And we need to just live it up, indulge the flesh. And they'll surely deny the scriptural teaching of divine judgment. Their teaching is but a thinly veiled excuse for their own self-indulgent lifestyle. So uh, they are those who follow their, after their own lusts, as we saw back in verse 3. Now to Peter, the scriptures are absolutely vital to Christian growth, Growth and stability. Um, I felt like I left that one out of there. You have it on yours? Growth and stability? Uh, you can add that. Uh, they were a standard for all the teaching and practice. Uh, they're absolutely sufficient. Uh, the scriptures provide to believer everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, uh, that's the basis for their faith and hope. That's the second one I've got there. And the believer's sole uh, source of revelation according to the future. Now, as a basis for our faith and hope, the scriptures also give us a perspective which enables us to see through the distortions and deceptions. And we don't have to view the truths of God's word through cloudy eyes of our culture or this age. No, uh, we view this age through clear eyed perspectives of the scripture. The world is not as it seems. Reality is revealed to us by the light of the Scripture. And so, uh, 
we, we look at the scriptures, it should motivate us to godliness. It motivates us because we see how God deals with sin. And uh, so uh, prophecy enables us to deny ourselves and endure persecution for uh, the sake of the gospel. So our text also shows us the relationship between time and eternity. A long time may have passed. Uh, Peter wrote this a long time ago. But it still puts into proper perspective what we see here in the light of eternity. Time is our opportunity to enter into eternal life, to invest our lives for eternity, to, to encourage others uh, with the gospel. And this passage will underscore the importance of viewing life from the vantage point of the character of God. The attributes of God are not abstract, just uh, things that you can't really understand. They're their basis, again, for our faith and hope. But prophecies, that is, the promises of God, are little value if God is not sovereign and omnipotent. It means all-powerful. And he's able to bring it to pass. Promises made centuries ago would have very little value unless they were made by an omnipotent, powerful, eternal God who's not bound by limits of time. Now, indeed, the attributes of God are just not mere propositions, but they're descriptions of his nature and character. The nature and character of the God we serve and worship. When life brings difficulties, which seem to have no answers, we can rest confidently in who God is and what he's like. We see this often when we study the Psalms. The psalmist frequently will cry out to God, presenting his problems. And we can do the same thing, just like the psalmist. But in the final analysis, the psalmist finds comfort and consolation in who God is. And so he trusts God and worships him, even though his immediate problems may still be there. So the great great question in life is, who do you trust? Whom do you trust? Do you trust man or God? Now, the psalmists were not restrained from asking God's questions. We know from the psalms they did not always receive a quick answer. That's why they based their trust and hope in God's character. But there are different kinds of questions, and some should not be asked. The scoffers will ask, well, where is the promise of his coming? You know? The godly will say, how long, Lord, how long? When will it be? So there's a world of difference between these two questions. And one question is rooted in sin and unbelief. And the other one is founded again in faith and hope. Well, we have a wonderful future if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And I trust you're looking for that hope in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, the difference between the two destinies lies in our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, died on the cross of Calvary to die for sinners, to bear the penalty of God's wrath. Those who trust him need not fear the coming of the day of the Lord. 
We don't have to be afraid of that day. Uh, we've got, uh, we may be looking forward to it, earnestly desiring its coming, uh, but those who do not receive Christ as their Savior will have to face him as their judge and when he comes to this earth again. I hope you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and as God's provision for eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that there is a word here that we can put our faith and hope in if you say it will come to pass, then it will come to pass. You've proven that over and over out throughout the ages. Led men to prophesy events and things to happen, and they've taken place. We have no doubt that this will take place as well. But we're thankful that we have the ability to put our faith and trust in you and that you've given us great hope. Bless the lesson to our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.